morning. My name is Chris Pate. I'm the lead pastor here. And up here are some of our elders, not all our elders and their wives. Some of our wives weren't able to make it today, unfortunately. But you get to see, as we call the five families that come together uh, to be uh, the governing elders of City Life Church. Before we dive into uh, the questions today, maybe you're new today, uh, maybe it's your first time, you're going, what are you guys doing? Uh, We've been doing a series called The Gospel In, and the first week we talked about the gospel and mental health, and then after that we did a panel um, with some mental health professionals and answered questions or responded to questions better. Uh, And then the next week we did The Gospel and Sexuality, and then we did a panel as well. Last week, we started the Gospel and Race, and this week, we are doing the panel with our elders here to be able to answer or respond to some of the questions that were asked. If you notice up here, there's a QR code, and you can still get on there if you would like. Every question we're not going to get to today, which we only got to five for service, um, but every question that we're going get, to get to, we're going to try to do as many as we can right after this. Uh, it'll be online. It'll be on YouTube. So if you're interested in how we respond, you know, w- what we're saying about some of these topics, we are going to do our best to get to all of your questions. And if you have some more, you could put them on there. The great thing about this website we use is any that you like, you can click like and they will go to the top. But right now we're going to be hitting some of the ones that were liked initially before we get uh, into this, though, real quick, a couple of other little pulpit talk is what we call it. Uh, I, I do want to acknowledge and thank it, it, those that do so much work in our church to be able to help us have these kind of dialogues and do these things we call rap sessions. We have our third rap session coming up on Friday in this building. You do not want to miss it. Sign up online. Make sure you come. And we'll be table discussing on race to talk about uh, our, our own individual perspectives or, or maybe challenges or things that we struggled with to be able to have that dialogue. And we're really passionate about that. But not only that, we have a team that helps us do this in our church because we want to be not just accidentally diverse, but very intentionally diverse. And they help us do this and they're called the DNA team. Here is their, oh, that's okay. DNA team is a, a so forming a social responsible church. This is what they do by providing tools and opportunities to help our church engage in Christ-like community. DNA stands for dialogue, news, good news, gospel, and action. We want to go into action. And the next slide actually shows some of our team members. Can we just give them a hand? Because we have great, great people on this team. They help promote and they work our rap sessions. Not only that, though, help us in engaging the community and doing the best that we can in order to continue to have these discussions so we do not get tunnel vision. So really, really appreciate them. Uh, one more thing. We have a few resources that you can take a picture of if you'd like. Um, we'll also have these on our website, but some resources from this panel um, of books that we have uh, discussing race that we would recommend and encourage you to read, to get to know about. Again, we will have those uh, later in the day on our website if you're interested in wanting to know more and uh, some of the things behind that. So without further ado, I'm just going to introduce to you our panelists in case you don't know them. Um, This is, as I said, our elder team as well as a couple of our wives and uh, very thankful to have them up here. But I I just want you to know from the onset uh, that our church is not desi- not designed, me being the lead pastor, as the man of God like Moses who comes down the mountain and offers the scrolls to the people. Um, we are not a man of God, CEO type church. We work together and I consider myself the first of equals on the stage. So leadership is done in a plurality, not in one person. We believe that's how the New Testament church is supposed to be and that's how we run this church. So If you want to know more about our church or how we govern, don't ever think it's just from me. I have the awesome privilege of having great minds, different people around me in order for us to have a dynamic, awesome church. Without further ado, on my right, to my right hand, is the... Eric Stevens, who practically runs a nuclear power plant, and uh, as an engineer, he's a nuclear engineer, very thankful to have him. He has four kids, so it's amazing he was able to be here today. Um, my, my wife here, that's why his wife is not, though. Uh, my wife, Casey Payne, of almost 22 years, is our creative director here and is the most beautiful person on stage. Um, inside and out, we don't just look at outside. Okay, G. 
Pastor G. Ute is, is our executive pastor here at City Life and does multiple things. His wife, Sierra, is a physician, and she is at home with his two, two baby girls who are not feeling good today. We have the Scott Fiddler, a.k.a. Fid One. And uh, he works at Jackson Walker, a very large firm here. He's a lawyer for employment law, civil rights attorney. And uh, he runs the employment law division there at Jackson Walker. And his wife runs him. Her name is Cindy Fiddler. (laughs) And uh, Fid, too, she is at home. And she's been a little under the weather, so she's not with us today. We have, though, the Rosses. We have Christine Ross and Jay Ross. Christine works in HR and also works with with our women's ministry, as well as all of our elders' wives, does amazing job, hospitality, everything she puts her hands to is great. She's from Kenya, and she won this guy uh, over somehow uh, in the great place of Cincinnati. And so we love these couple. Jay Ross is an architect by trade and a man of God by hobby. So uh, we love these guys by life, by life, by life. Um, just being stupid. Okay, uh, we have our first question that we will dive into today. Here's the question. And, and we, we, no softballs here. This was the most popular one, so we hit it. What do you think about critical race theory from a biblical lens? Before we answer the question, Scott, tell us a little bit historically. Tell us a little bit. Define critical race theory a little bit if you can. Okay, so... Um I mean, the gist of it, as I understand it, is that um, institutions and laws are inherently discriminatory or are tainted by discrimination. And um, I don't think that that's a particularly remarkable proposition uh, because laws and institutions are created by individuals. Yeah. And individuals uh, are tainted by prejudice and bias. Yeah. Um, but I think um, the concern is, though, that when you deal with institutions and laws, it, you can focus more on that than on the messy business of the heart. Yeah. And I, I was thinking back uh, and thinking about this question just about the social gospel movement in the early 1900s. Yeah. Some of you may have heard of that. And so uh, one of the best books on it was written by a hero of mine named Walter Rauschenbusch, and he was a Baptist preacher. He wrote this book, I think it was 1909, 1910, called Christianity and the Social Crisis. And um, it was a time of optimism. Uh, fueled by a post-millennial eschatology, very positive, you know, the kingdom of God is going to um, be successful on the earth. And what they did, though, in the social gospel movement is they focused on institutions and laws, on changing those things. And they did some good things. They changed some child labor laws and did other things that were successful. But the movement ultimately petered out. And ultimately, World War I and World War II kind of killed the optimism that was driving it. But also it wasn't fully successful because it focused instead on institutions and laws, which was tempting because those are things that seem obvious and they're big things you can change without messing with the heart. But I was thinking about the example of Jesus, you know, when when they brought to him, trying to trap him, they brought to him a coin or they brought to him a, a political question, a highly charged political question, which this one is as well. And they ask him, you know, should we pay taxes to the Roman government? And Jesus' response was, well, whose image do you see on the coin? And they said, well, Caesar's. They said, we'll render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. But what we miss in that a lot of times is not realizing that they understood when he said that he was referring back to Genesis 126, where it says that man is created in the image of God. Mm -hmm. So in other words, the image of God is what's imparted or implanted on man's heart. You belong to God. So in other words, when Jesus has brought this political question, he turns it back to an issue of the heart. He did the same thing in, um, in John 8 when the woman is caught in adultery. She's brought to him, and they, give, they say, look, the law says this woman is caught in the very act. And Jesus' response was, okay, let, he was without sin cast the first stone. Again, he moved the question back to the heart. And ultimate change, real change, change that's really going to change change the world other than kind of tinkering around on the edges is change that changes the human heart and only Jesus can do that. So great. So great. Anybody else? What do you think about critical race theory? Jay? All right. (laughs) You're looking at me. Come on, man. Yeah. So I want to start with this question about kind of going back to really focusing in on the biblical lens because that's how we should be looking at everything 
that is in front of us in society. Everything that's, you know, not skirting any issue, but how to look at things. But if we understand what the biblical lens is, Scott started to hit on it already. If we understand that we are made in the image of God, let's just pause right there. God intentionally made us with purpose. Uh, and that purpose is to have relationship with him. Now that's not something far off, that's something very close. If we understand we have value, that's how I have to look at everything and everyone. Why critical race theory is now hot is, you know, there's various reasons, right? People are wielding it as, as something to beat over somebody's head. There's a lot of misinformation about what it is and how it's used. So I think as Christians, let me start here, as Christians, our responsibility is not to get our way of thinking from a soundbite or from a political ad or from this or that. We should be, if you're getting your information from somebody else without getting into it, then that's already set up for failure because there's probably a slant coming somewhere. How do we look at it as believers uh, in, in, in anything? So kind of going from critical race theory back to critical theory, it's a way of looking at what's actually happening, what's, what's reality. All these things in history are tied to kind of where we are now, but it's still about am I actually seeing what's going on? And, and as a Christian with a biblical lens, how do I engage those things? It is not enough to just talk about them and not do anything about it. Yeah. That is not what we're about. It's, about, it's, it's not for me to, and, and please hear me, I'm not bashing anybody who wants to go and protest. How are you getting in and, and not, I'm trying to change legislation, but I'm trying to deal with people's hearts. You have to do them both. You have to do things that aren't just, let me legislate morality, let me legislate the way I approach these things. Let's deal with the heart. The heart is deceitfully wicked. So now I have to engage people as such, but seeing them with value. So understand it first. Before, before I get upset and I get bothered, because I think it is being used to influence my children or influence somebody else, what is it? Take responsibility to get in and see kind of what it is. So I'll pause there. And so there are a lot of great resources out there uh, to learn more about critical race theory. So Jay briefly mentioned about the driving from critical theory. I think it is from the Frankfurt School, the thoughts. I think it's like 1940s, 50s, around there. That's what actually the critical theory actually formated. And then uh, historically, I think critical race theory uh, was formed in 1984 uh, from Harvard Law School uh, by name Derek um, Bell. Bell. And then within that school, so it is a theory, so I think we need to be very careful, which I didn't get to mention last service. It's a theory. Anybody know, anybody done actually done the scientific research or social research, know that it is a theoretical, it's an idea, it's an ideology. So we have to understand that because it's a theory, because it's an idea, it's the battle of the worldview. Different worldview, whether it be the worldview of the critical race theory or the biblical worldview, how we interpret the world through the lens of the gospel and the scripture that has been given to us. So what we say as a biblical lens is that we interpret the world not through the theory, but we interpret the world through the scripture. So we put the scripture as a primary resource in order to interpret the world that we are in right now. That is not to say that racism doesn't exist. That is not to say that prejudice does not exist. Well, let's be very clear about that. But to say that to all the source, the root of the problem is the racism without defining the depravity of man, the sin for nature, we're missing the major, major idea uh, from the biblical lens that we see from the Genesis onward, so. Yeah, I was just gonna add, uh, what, as a father of four, one of the challenges is explaining complex things to your children, right? So, as the illustration I gave in, in the last service, so imagine five years from now, uh, you got a decision to make between giraffes and elephants. And we're going to redefine what giraffes and elephants stand for. And we're going to propose to a people in a culture, say, you've got to choose one or the other. You can't say lions. You can't say anything else. It's either giraffes or elephants. And I think the trick in our culture and society today 
is to reduce everything down to where we're only providing people two options for anything in life, right? God's called us to be representatives of his kingdom. Therefore, our perspective is supposed to be from scripture and we're supposed to reflect God's personality, his character, his love, but yet at the same time, yes, answering and engaging all of these things, but not falling to the trick of, hey, is it either A or B? I remember somebody called me up randomly. I hadn't talked to this person in months. They called me up and said, hey, what are your thoughts on critical race theory? And before you answer, I just want to know, if you choose this side, we're not friends anymore. And I'm thinking, you were my friend prior to this even being a topic or conversation. That is the pit that we have to be careful about in our society. Because this is just one of many theories and, and things that are populating our culture. So you've got to be careful when somebody proposes to you, hey, by the way, what are your thoughts on this? Because at the end point, the result a lot of times is divisive and saying, hey, let's, let's, I want to make sure that there's clear division between your, we already have division as it is. But we got to be careful when a lot of these other things are being represented and brought up to bring further division rather than unity. That's great. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting to to think too when we come in from a, a biblical perspective, gospel perspective. One of the first, this is why we talk about dialogue. Is uh, we believe all truth ultimately, like truth, not my truth, but the truth. Which, if you're a Christian, you believe in objective truth, by the way, whether you you know it or not. But all truth is God's truth, and every ideology might have a hint of God's truth in it. And so we don't just come at it, no, it's wrong, because we might go, there's actually, I understand why critical race theory is so hot right yeah. now. And bec because of the image of God is being tainted and distorted or being whitewashed or being taken away from schools, I think we need to come in with common ground to say, let's find our common ground, but then let's start delineating and having conversation beyond that. Instead of just, this is it, this is, I'm not talking to you. That is further divisive, so... I want to add this. I think kind of getting to the heart of things as well. I think the reason that critical race theory right now is so hot because we have many sides talking at each other yep. versus hearing. There's a lot of fear that's not based in some reality. And then right. there's some agendas that are also there. But I think if you get to the heart of why this is important is because we have value. And there are some things that have happened in this country that continue to happen that no matter what side you fall on, we might not want to talk about. It's uncomfortable. Well, if we're ever going to get to, the, to, to what, what the real purpose of us as Christians are to reconcile people back to Christ, I got to enter into that. And I got to not be afraid. And I have to get educated about it. And I, not, I don't, I, and I have to not wield it as a weapon to make you submit to what I want to do, right. no matter what side you fall on. It's messy. Yeah. But you have a responsibility to engage it so that you understand how to show people the love of Christ, right. bottom line. Yeah. It's not something you can, uh, that's too messy, I don't want to deal with that. Right. Well, you have to. That's what this country has done year after year, years after years after years. Yeah. I feel the hurt when I, when I hear people talk to me on the side like, I'm not being seen, I'm not being heard, or it's being misrepresented. We have a responsibility. Again, I'm speaking to all of those that, if you're following after Jesus, Jesus entered into history. He entered into the mess. He dealt with it. He didn't run from it. Yeah. Guess what? The torch is passed to us. Yeah. So we have a responsibility to do that. It's hard. Yeah. Do some study. But then don't wield it as a weapon. Wield it as a way to connect with people. Yeah, yeah. can I add something to that? Um, so this may be news to some of y'all, but um, the opinions that you get from Fox News or MSNBC, there aren't people like in the back rooms reading their Bibles, trying to come up with the opinions that they then give you on television. CNN, CNN also. CNN also, yeah, CNN also. Um, <laughs> So what I would encourage you to do, this is a highly charged political issue. And frankly, I don't watch much news anymore on TV one way or the other. I kind of read across the spectrum on Apple News. But um, I would encourage you, when you see a, an issue like this come up, 
take it to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, show me what is the truth in this situation. What, I mean, I'm hearing all these things. They're polarizing. And by the way, they're polarizing because that makes people watch. It's the echo chamber. It's, it's advertising. It's all of that. Um, but go to the Lord and say, Lord, show me in the word. Show me in the word what the answer to this question is. And you might be surprised the kind of wisdom that he'll, he'll give you. And, and then talk about it. Don't keep it up here. We have to communicate. Yeah. Just wanted to add, hopefully I'm holding it properly, but so let's not have that apathetic mindset of, oh, it doesn't affect me, because I think that's one of the things that we don't do very well, even as members or spiritual family, is being able to have those conversations together um, with each other before we can even have it in the workplace or wherever else we've been sent. So just plugging in again for, we can't, we only have limited time here, but that's why we have the wrap sessions. So we can learn to dialogue together. And we also have relational foundations that will be coming up so that we can get back to the root of where things should begin in the image of God. Yeah worship and all other things as well so that we can do life well together support each other especially in this day so then we can go out there and make a difference so good let's let's go we could spend the whole time on this let's talk uh, number two second question that was most popular that you guys liked uh how come we never see multicultural churches with black leadership do you think other races are comfortable submitting to black leadership. Um, I'll just start this one off because we're part of a greater uh, ministry, worldwide ministry called Every Nation. We have churches in 80 countries. And I myself have several pastor friends that are non-white leading amazing multicultural churches. Um, some of them we've had in Dr. Brian Taylor, who's in Cincinnati, our church there. Uh, Dr. Chris Johnson, who's in Virginia. Uh, I, I mean, I could go there. I, I could list right off the top of my head of like 10 uh, where you see multicultural great things. So not just being defensive with the question, but also going that, that first of all, when we use superlatives, never, always, it, it's usually like, oh, that's not necessarily true. I understand where the question is coming from, though, in the heart behind it, and, and really the second question, do you think other races are comfortable submitting to black leadership, especially in our culture? And so I'll, I'll let you guys talk about that. Well, I know my, oh, sorry. My last two pastors have been, uh, have been black, and actually I think my current pastor may be black, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, no, I don't, I don't have an issue with it. Yeah. It's interesting. Do I think other races are comfortable submitting to black leadership? It doesn't matter what I think. I'm going to look at, you know, what do we see? What do we see? There's a reason why this question is there. We may not see a lot of them. That doesn't mean it's a never. But then the question becomes, why don't we see that? Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe it's because, you know, the amount of churches, yeah. the amount of people out there, you know, what? Uh, I'll, I'll say, I'll use black, for example. What? Uh, African-Americans make up, what, 13% of the population right around there? So it's, the number's already low. But let, let's get past that. I do think that there are preferences. I think there's cultural relate, cultural related to it. I think it's proximity related to it. I think that number's growing, but I do think it's a challenge because now we're saying I've, we've always we for for a very long time we have done church this way, yeah. right? That has a certain you know type of music, a certain style of preaching, a certain you know it has all of its nuances. Yeah. Now I have to see others that are bringing the fullness of that relationship with Christ, that expression, and, and giving it value so it's not one way. So I think it's growing. I do think there's a long way to go because it moves past black leadership. It moves into Korean leadership and um, just pick a nationality. Others being comfortable to say, I'm going to put my preferences down, not 100%, but I'm going to put some of that down because I want to engage in relationship in that leadership saying that's a value. I want, not, 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 not because I, I pick one Sunday and it's, it's uh, you know, whatever day. It, it's, it's a part of who we are yeah. and growing. So that, I think that, that has to grow. Yeah. But leadership has to take ownership of that as well as those that are saying, I'm putting my preferences down yeah. to now go be under this leadership. Number one, not because I want to be there, solely, but because God planted me there. Right, 
right. and I have something to give. All that's, that's a mess, but yeah. I, I think that's the idea. Yeah, I think that, oh, go ahead. Uh, I just was going to say, I, I'd like to just kind of focus on the word comfortable for a second, because we say a lot in our church, being a diverse church that works really hard to celebrate our diversity and also be in unity, um, we, we say a lot to each other, if you're always comfortable in a multicultural diverse church, then we're probably not doing diversity well <laughs> if everyone is always comfortable all the time. And so I would say, yeah, I think the honest answer to that question is, I think some people are uncomfortable because it does require, like Jay said, he, he nailed it. It does require a certain laying down of preference. But when you attend a church and you look for a church home, preferences should ideally not make the top of the list of why you would choose a community. If I was attending a church, if I was church, I will, I will never be church hopping uh, ever again. But if I was in that position, I would be looking at solid biblical teaching. Is this church Christ-centered? Is this church empowered by the Holy Spirit? Is this church doing good work in their community? Are they? Those are the things I'm looking at. And I think a lot of people do get caught up in the preferences. And so I would go as far as to say is we should be uncomfortable sometimes. I don't think always being comfortable is actually serves us well. I think it's good to be uncomfortable because I think it is a commitment to building a certain way. Now I'm talking about diverse churches because again, that's just, it's going to hit a lot of different preferences. Some week it, you may love the music and some weeks you may not. And some weeks you love the teaching and, and some weeks you don't. But I, I just think comfortable in itself, I, have, I view that as a negative connotation because if we're always comfortable, first of all, we rarely grow when we're comfortable. And second of all, if, if, we, if everything is checking off our boxes, that, maybe not, that might not be the best checklist if you're going to a church. So man, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter who it is, who's up there. If they are, are solid, if they love Jesus and they're preaching the word and there's a solid community there, they deserve the respect and honor and the consideration of should I submit to the leadership of this church? But um, again, I just think that's, that is the issue is we, we want to be comfortable and it's just easier to gravitate towards that because that's just our nature. But when you're building a diverse community of people, not one person ever gets to be comfortable the whole time because it's a continually daily process of laying down, preferring one another, honoring one another, laying down what I love to do all the time, what, what are my favorite things. And so I think, yes, I think the answer is yes. I think some people are uncomfortable. And then I would say, well, maybe, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe God's doing something. If something makes you uncomfortable, you should lean into that a little bit more. Yeah, ditto. And th this is why I think that Sunday morning is the most segregated day of the week. Right? Because people elevate their comfort and what they desire in music and types of worship over diversity and being part of a church like this. Absolutely. Okay, let's keep going. Number three, how should interracial families raise mixed kids and help them understand their uh, and identify with both sides of their ethnicity? So they're going to look at me anyway. So in case at you G. don't know, they have mixed children yes. and they are an interracial so family. My wife <laughs> you didn't is, know. My, watch, my wife here is watching me right now, so I better get this one right, making sure um, my wife is black and we have a mixed children. So here we go. Before I actually answer this question, I want to give you a little bit of background about how God views interracial marriage. Scripture actually actually has a good connotation to interracial marriage. We see that in the Old Testament, we see Joseph marrying an Egyptian wife. We also see Moses uh, marrying a Cushite or Ethiopian uh, wife. And so we actually see that there is no boundary as far as marriage, as far as skin and so we, we can at least settle with that. And additionally, we also can say that in the genealogy of Jesus, 
we see three different women that are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus that are, that are not Jewish. And who were they? It was Rahab, Bathsheba, and Ruth. So obviously, God does not mind bringing Savior to the world through interracial marriages. So let's just get that out of the way. So he has a good view. John Piper, I'll quote this, I think it was good. God says, John Piper, pastor, uh, said, God says not a critical word against Moses for marrying a black Cushite woman, but when Miriam criticized God's chosen leader for this marriage, God strikes her skin with a white leprosy. If you ever thought black was a biblical symbol for uncleanness, be careful how you use such an idea a white uncleanness could come upon you. We have seen, we have treated, even in our history in the United States, saw the interracial marriage as illegal. There was a period where interracial marriage was illegal. Not now, but it used to be. It's because of bad theology, bad interpretation of the scripture, and now we are where we are. It's better now that theologians have retouched it and. And, and we have a re uh, kind of grasped what interracial marriage is, so it's okay. So I just want to start with that. Yeah. Next, how should interracial family raise mixed kids, help them understand, identify both sides of their ethnicity? Yesterday, I was at my uh, uh, my girl, my Hannah. She, he's five, she's five years old. It was her birthday party, so we had so many kids that you know, and the parents that came to the party. It was a lot of it was a lot of fun. It was you know watching kids and and interacting with one another and then having a lot of fun together. And and, and here's what I want to say. You know who don't see each other's race that much? Kids. If if that is the case, it's really the adults that are at issue. We have a problem with looking at each other and codifying or categorizing people based on the color of their skin because children doesn't do that way. So the question, how I am going to raise our children is the issue of identity, meaning they are going to embrace both culture, both black and Korean culture. Yes, absolutely but their identity will not derive from the color either party. Their identity is going to come from Christ and Christ alone. And it is responsibility of the adult to train our children in the admonition of the Lord. Not only that, but giving them the worldview, helping them to understand that God has created everyone equal, in the image of God, and we all share the intrinsic value of each other, if we can raise our children that way, what impact it will have from years from now. I cannot speak for every parent, but one thing that I want to do make sure is that they derive their identity from Christ alone. So. Yeah, I just, yeah. Yeah, no. just wanted to add to that. That doesn't absolve us, especially a spiritual family, from just leaving it to the parents. Um, just being from Africa, we had the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. And we have a responsibility to come alongside and help them go back to the root of it, like their identity is in Christ. And we can reinforce that. And if we're true to ourselves, a lot of us as adults have issues, maybe with interracial marriages, and children, so you need to step back and re-examine, like, are we contributing as believers especially to the problem, or are we coming in from the gospel perspective and coming alongside and helping? So good. Let's keep going because we have, we have more. Uh, number four, how can a multicultural church strike the balance of shepherding certain groups through their particular struggles while maintaining a collective unity? Uh, I'd like to say by embracing authenticity. So if you did not know, authenticity is one of our core values as a church. So what does that mean on a practical basis? So as we're, we call it connect classes, you go through connect class. One of the things that I say every single time when people come into the church and they're inquiring about becoming members is make it very clear 
that God made you the way you are for a reason and a purpose. When you become a part of our church family, God is not asking you not to be black, not to be white, not to be Korean, not to be Hispanic, not to be any of those things. Because ultimately in his plan, he is wanting you to be an expression of his kingdom from whatever your ethnic or cultural background is. So if we ever think in our heads that, you know, if I become a Christian and I love God, I've got to surrender, I'm surrendering my ethnicity. That is absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. Because God is wanting to reflect his kingdom within you in order to reach other people who might look exactly like you. Because when you look at Revelation, it says that we're going to be a people of every nation, tribe, and tongue. There are distinguishable differences between all of us. And God's idea of perfect unity is expressing his character within how you're made. So it's by us embracing authenticity in the sense of however God made you, that's exactly who he wants you to be in order to express his kingdom within you. Yeah, and I would add to, we embrace who God has called us to be, and then I think helping each other through struggles, we enter in to each other's struggles. Um, I, I don't think we lament well, just in general. I don't think the church laments well. And I think part of that is because we know the hope we have, right? We know the end of the story. We know the kingdom. And so we have an eternal hope with us at all times. But we also live in a very real world with, with some realities we're faced with that do not look like the kingdom. And we, I just think in general, we don't enter into lament very well. And so I would say helping each other through struggles means we enter into it with each other. We sit down with each other and we hurt together. We go through things together and we don't just kind of leave it to different groups to experience different things. And I shared this in first service and I'll share it again. This is the, an example of this that I will never forget is the uh, when we were online only during the height of the pandemic, which was awful, by the way. We're so glad that you're able to watch us online and be together, but talking and singing to a camera was just not very fun. But when we, uh, the first Sunday recording that we came to do after George Floyd happened, we were all struggling. And we just had a very real moment, and we were like, we have to lament in worship this time. We can't just pretend like nothing happened. We have to, we have to lament through this. And we re- recorded the worship, and it was very difficult to get through, but uh, I'll never forget the minute like the cameras turned off and we were done, I just, Kayla and I, who was standing next to me this morning, who's just phenomenal and, and so close with me, and um, we just looked at each other and we both just started weeping and we embraced and we held each other and we just cried and cried and cried and we, we hurt together and we just sat there in the pain. And I think that that is the key to community. And I actually think it strengthens our collective unity. When we enter into things with other people and we say, this is no longer just your experience or your story. Because my experiences look different. But in that moment, it didn't matter. This was your pain in my heart. And it's also my pain. This is our fight together. This is our struggle together. And I think when we're able to do that, and acknowledge there actually are struggles, I think that can be a problem to begin with sometimes, is we act like they're, they're not struggles just because we may not understand them. But to be able to do that strengthens our unity because we are coming together as one family and we're saying this belongs to all of us. The things that are wrong with our country, the things that are wrong in the world belong to all of us, not just one group of people to lament through and be broken through and have pain through, but this is also my problem. And so I believe God's unity, I think that's the most beautiful moments we have as a church 
in general is when we can come together in that collective unity and say, this is ours together. And in that, we help each other through our struggles. Yes, okay. Next one, uh, five. Uh, can it be explained as to why Jesus is and continues to be portrayed as a white man? Catholics. Fifteenth uh, <laughs> century. Fifteenth um, century. What happened was Michelangelo drawing the picture of the portraying Jesus. I mean, he at based, a table, sitting sure, on sure, chairs. Yes, yes, yes. Totally wrong. Yeah, yeah. Totally wrong. Um, Portraying Jesus, he actually portrayed through his friend. He's drawing his friend as portrait of Jesus, and obviously he was white, so he's going to look like white. And obviously later on, Mormon took it to a whole another level, putting super white man as a as their model. So that's where we are seeing a lot of the current, the arts, and different things that portray as a white man. But we know that Jesus was not white, complex, meaning he was a Middle Eastern. That means he had a darker complex. And so we can honestly say that Jesus was a darker complex, very similar to uh, uh, Jasmine over there. If you can stand up and show to everybody, that will be more of a better complexion of Jesus. Sorry to put you on the spot, Jazz. You You're are never going to live that down. That's a real one right there. Just, just to add a little bit to that. So... Uh, when God was coloring me, he went a little bit extra on the crayon. That's just the reality of it. And so if I were to hide, just think about this, just very practically, right? So if I'm to hide, if I want to go to hide, and if I go to Japan, chances are you're going to find me. True. No issue. You're, see, you are going to find me in Japan, right? So when you read the Gospels, right, when Herod decrees that all the children under a certain age should die, Scripture says that Joseph took Mary and hid in Africa. By the way, Egypt is in Africa. And so if the family is to go to Africa to hide, chances are their reflection and how they look is very similar to the very place that they're going. So you got to be careful whenever you see pictures. Oh, he died. Well, think about if he's hiding, he's probably going to blend in with the very people he's with. So just on a practical level. And, and I would add, I think it's, it's, there's a level of normality that we want to be able to relate with God. And so uh, we, we would tend to like, if I'm white, I'm going to have white Jesus, black, black Jesus, right? If, if I'm uh, Will Ferrell, I'm going to have an eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus who I like to party with, right? Because, uh, it, it, and, and I'm not saying that's good. I'm saying it's normal for us to want to relate um, when we're in scripture or if you, you watch a movie, you're going to, you're finding the character that you can relate with. And so some of the normality though is, is, is just wrong in the thinking. And the problem with it too, is it becomes God, awesome, Jesus, Lord, look at what he's done to where now I've made him not only white, but then once I do this, cause I make him just like me, but then you know what? He's less than me because I can now put him eye to eye. And now I'm going to put him down here where I'm Lord, where I'm in charge of my life. And that is the depravity of man. That is our heart that wants to be over something. So we, we, we start from here, we bring him down here and then we end up down here and Jesus will not be contained to that. Bad history, yes. Bad hearts, yes. And that's why we want to continue to do what we're doing in this church and speaking Christ. Okay? One more? Y'all ready? Uh, six. Do you think it's the church's responsibility to maintain and strive for diversity in its members? I'll say one thing here real quick. Um, One thing I like to say about our church in our diversity is we don't think we're better than every other church but we do think we're more beautiful than other churches. Honestly, we think we're more beautiful. I would never come and say we are more moral than that church or to try to be like, you know what? If it's an all black church, the spirit of God is not there. Who am I to say that? I know God can move in all of these different types of churches, but what God has called us to is diversity. And I think it is more beautiful. Ultimately, there's a lot more we can say. But yeah, I think the thing I love about the story of city life is that God created this. And I don't say that in some super spiritual way. When we walked in, 
like, I don't think there's a manner of program you can put together that is going to attract all these folks that are here and keep them here. I think the Spirit of God does that. I think it's our responsibility as leadership is to be thoughtful and recognize what God is doing and get on board with him and his program and what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. So it's really important, the order here. The order isn't, oh, we want to have a multicultural church. Yeah, I want to do that. That's just just problems. But God, you're doing something. And man, I want to be a part of that. I'm going to have to lay down some of my preferences maybe, but I'm still, but what I do is still being seen as value. And it's a part of that. So that's what this, the story of city life is. And, and I'll say, I'll have other pastors like, how do y'all get diverted? As if there's like, yeah, like a code or something. Um, and, but the, the first thing I'll say is show me your phone. Show me your favorites. Yeah. Who's on your phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if everybody looks like you, you're not going to have a diverse church because that's not who you are. It's not something you're valuing and intentionally going after. On, on the other end of the spectrum, though, we can't look at our panel and go, you know what we need? You know, we need a Native American on this eldership team. <laughs> and so the first one that comes in, we're like, you're an elder because we need to have some kind of law of discrimination. That is crazy. A lot of churches do that, though. Because, or even businesses are doing that now because yeah. you want to be so holistic. You put the wrong people in the wrong place. We're looking at hearts, and it doesn't matter what you look like, and we watch God elevate you ultimately, yeah. and that's what we're looking for. We do yeah. need somebody that looks like Jasmine, though. <laughs> Middle Eastern. Angela. I was talking with the uh, one pastor one time, and he was actually pretty amazed with what God is doing here in this church. And so, and then he was asking question about how can I direct our church because it's a very established church in the in the inner city, and and his thing was, you know, like how do you do it? And so, and very similar to what Pastor Chris just mentioned about show me your phone. I, I said, show me your website, show me your about us, show me your staff page. That tells me everything I need to know. Meaning. You have everyone that looks just like you. It's going to be really, really hard for you to actually have a diverse, multi-ethnic church when it's just mono. Now, can God do it? Absolutely. But I think it has to be the move of God. I think what Jay put it at his best. It has to be the move of God. We didn't intentionally say, you know what? We're going to have a multi-ethnic church in the beginning. God has brought us here together and really we are grateful uh, to see everyone here mm-hmm. and I mean just even right now I put a smile on my face you know that there's such a diversity in this room it has to be God yeah it's and, not and a lot of you sacrificed a lot for that and we, yeah. we recognize that we it's do recognize that. I mean I can hoop but it's a different kind of hoop you know what I'm saying so hey just to add one one more thing uh, to what everybody's saying it's a different <laughs> type of hoop I'm stuck there sorry just to, just to add something to that, so uh, in the 60s, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King goes on the TV show Meet the Press, and I think a lot of us le- see the little uh, sound bites of that conversation in terms of Sunday being the most segregated uh, part of the day and all that kind of stuff, but I, I'm weird, I do this. So you read the entire transcript, and that word strive, I think is important for me. You read that entire transcript, and actually the full context of what he says because he was the leader of an African-American church. He actually says within the transcript, I wish my church wasn't mono-ethnic. Here's a person who's leading the most important civil rights movement within this nation's history, understands what's going on within the culture, understands why things are the certain ways. He was not excusing that. But yet, the Bible, right, striving for God's expression and God, what God wants in society, to where he can look at his own congregation and goes, it is predominantly black, but I wish it wasn't. Mm -hmm. I wish it wasn't. And that's the part that I look at and go, when I look at the people who are my closest friends, I'm like, I want to strive to have people who are multi-ethnic. Not just mono-ethnic people who think like me, look like me, eat the same foods that I do, watch the same TV shows. That's all good and well. But the striving part is important, and I think that's where we develop a lot of our growth as believers, mm-hmm. uh, just to reflect God and his kingdom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
I think it's our responsibility, yes. Here in this house, we can't speak for any other church in Houston or America or the world, but I, I think we can't just say God did it um, because what we don't want you to hear is that we're not being very intentional about stewarding what God has done because we make choices every day on purpose. We are not just sitting here and like so great. We don't take it for granted. We don't just sit here, Lord, thank you for just bringing us all these amazing, you are amazing people. We love you so much. And we don't, but we don't take it for granted because just because God built something, we are responsible to be stewards of what God has built in this house. So and to the point of what Eric is saying, it is our responsibility in the work, in the striving we do to build a diverse community. And that, that includes choices. And, and like you said, it's, it's not that we're better than anyone else, but we believe it's harder, number one, it's harder work, but it is more beautiful. And a diamond is beautiful no matter how you look at it, but if you just look at one facet of the diamond, you're missing the diamond. A diamond is multifaceted, and the more it has, the more value and worth it has, and the more beautiful it is. And so that's how we view that, is it is a more beautiful, holistic picture. My life is richer because I know people that have different experiences than me, and I have learned from them, and I've grown from hearing them and from just doing life together. So better, no, more beautiful, yes, our responsibility, yes. Yeah, and let me add one thing to that, and that is if you read books on church growth and evangelism, what you find is that people reach people who look like them. And here's the good thing, look around. We look like the city of Houston. So God has uniquely placed City Life Church in a position to reach and change the city of Houston. That's the good news. Amen. Amen. And once you're in and involved with a church that is diverse, it's hard to get out. Um, not in a cult way, not like you <laughs> blood in, blood out. Lock the door, lock the Clarify, door. Clarify, because this I'm is saying, on the internet. Please. I am clarifying. Yeah. I am clarifying. <laughs> I am the lead pastor. Um, <laughs> I say that, what I mean is, I mean, I go and visit, you know, my, my parents' church in Arkansas or something like that, and I walk in, and I'm uncomfortable, and everyone's white, and I'm like, this is weird, because once you're in it, you're like, I, I, it's not, it's just not as beautiful. It's just not. Um, again, not, not morality, not better than, not trying to be prideful, but just once you're in it, you're just like, man, I, I can't go back. Um, because I love being able to talk. And I want to expand the idea of diversity, not just nations and color, but social, uh, economical. Okay? There's one thing, everybody has the same job and looks different and is mosaic, but are we reaching people that are poor, reaching people that are rich? Are we watching the gospel enrich everything as well as age? That's why we have our kids on our video. Not because it's cute, but we value them and they have something to contribute to our church. And so we want our diversity to expand. Jay, you got one more? No, you you, you said it. Did I say it? Okay, my bad. We are done, though. We have to wrap up. We will... Uh, be on video. If you want to check this out, City Life Houston on YouTube, you can check out the rest of the conversation as we talk. But we did want to close.